be it's New Year's Eve or almost New Year's Eve. I don't know if you have plans or if it's a big celebration for you or a big to-do. Do you do, do you do things on New Year's Eve? Uh, New Year's Eve, like I have to be in bed by like 9.30, all right? So I, it's really hard for me to stay up and whatever, you watch the ball drop in Times Square or watch somebody lip sync in Times Square or whatever it is. Uh, but it's really hard for me to stay up and watch the whole change of year. But maybe you, maybe you do something and you have a tradition like that. Um, but it's a strange time. I don't know if you've noticed that between, between uh, Christmas and New Year's, a lot of people get time off work. The kids are home. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and say, what day is it again? Are you like that? I'm just, is it Friday? Is it Thursday? I can't remember. What are we doing today? I don't know. You know, every, it's sort of a year where you kind of, or a time of year where you just sort of, you take a deep breath and, and you, you, maybe you contemplate a little bit. Maybe you look back a little bit on the year. Maybe you look forward to the coming year. I, I don't know what it is, but it's a bit of a twilight zone period, Christmas, New Year's, and that sort of two-week two week run. You know, the stores are packed. Uh, this is, you know, right before the, the change of year. This is where they want to get in everything they can possibly get in, especially, you know, small businesses and retail. It's like, we need to work, work, work. And you see all the staff all over the place just trying to get in the last, you know, 10 cents that they can get in to make their year. And But it's a, kind of a strange time. It's a bit of a twilight zone period of two weeks. But it's very fitting to ask this question that we're going to try and answer today. Um, what time is it? What time is it? You say, well, it's 11.16 a.m. on December 30th, the year 2018. What kind of a silly question is that? Well, I'm obviously not asking it that way. But what time is it? In other words, can you sort of discern, can you get a feel, can you get a grasp for what we're living in, for the time that we're living in, the season that we're living in, the, the page that's turning? Can you get a grip and a discernment of that? Uh, back in the, in the time of the Old Testament, you remember David had some men with him, King David, and these, these guys were, they discerned the times, if you remember that statement at all. And I wonder if we can answer that question today, uh, what time is it? Let me give you some, some food for thought as we think about time. Number one, and you're going to laugh at this, but time passes, did you ever stop and realize that you cannot stop it from passing? Did you ever stop and realize that time passes at exactly the same rate for everyone? So no matter where you are on planet Earth, even beyond planet Earth, I mean, you could go and you could go and travel in, in space or as far as we can currently get in what we call outer space and Time will pass the same way. It won't be, you won't stop it from passing. Uh, some people theorize that if we could actually travel at light speed or faster than light speed, three times 10 to the 10 meters per second, I think it is, 
Any engineers? Am I right? Yeah. If we could travel that fast or faster than we could stop it or go backwards. Some people theorize that that could happen. But essentially, we're all stuck with this problem that time passes, and it passes at exactly the same rate for everyone. So, you know, you can, you can measure it in different ways. We use a certain kind of calendar. There are different people around the world who use other kinds of calendars. You ask, for example, the Mayans, and they'll say it's one kind of time. You ask the, the strict Jewish people, and they'll say it's the year, I don't know what it is, 5,000 and something or other. But it's all passing at the same rate, the same speed for us. We can't seem to find a way to slow that down or change it or anything. We could get makeup and make ourselves look like we're not aging. We can do all kinds of crazy things, freeze our bodies, put them in cryogenic freeze when we pass away and say, well, maybe if, maybe if they find a way, a fountain of youth one day, maybe we could kind of come back from, from uh, the dead or you know, some science fiction idea like that. But we're all stuck with the same reality. And it doesn't matter how much money a person may have. doesn't matter where they come from. It does not matter what their religious belief is. They may have no religious belief. It doesn't, their color of their skin, their gender, it doesn't matter. It passes at exactly the same rate for everyone. And some people say, yeah, but some people seem to have more time than other people. They live longer, and that means they have more time, right? Well, not necessarily, and we'll see that in a few moments. I mean, maybe you could say they may have more time on this earth. They may have more time alive in what we understand being alive right now, but do they really have more time? It passes, and it passes at the same rate for everyone. And time, it's a, it's a universal absolute. It's a universal truth. I always find it amusing when people say there's no absolutes anymore, there's no such thing as universal truth, and yet the time that it took them to say there's no absolutes is this, is, shows that there is an absolute. <laughs> time is one of those absolutes in life. Uh, and, you know, maybe there's moral absolutes if there's other kinds of absolutes. Did you ever stop and think that time had a beginning? It has to have had a beginning. If time had no beginning, we wouldn't be able to measure it. How would we measure if it had no beginning? We wouldn't be able to pass through it. It seems fairly logical that time even had some sort of beginning at some time. So it's universal truth. It passes at the same rate for everyone. And time has a very close cousin. It's not a very liked cousin, but time has a very close cousin. It starts with the letter D. Very close relative to time because every, the more time passes, the more we, we get closer to that word that we don't want to say that comes to all of us and we don't want to even, we dare not pronounce that word, especially during a time of celebration, you know, Christmas and New Year's, but wow. And the older you get, the more funerals you start going to, right? I can see some of you smiling and, you know, you go to special events, it's either a wedding or a funeral. Hopefully you're going to more weddings and funerals, but the older you get, your friends, your entourage, they start 
to meet that close cousin of time. So, you know, there's some things that we stop and think about when time changes and when we have something like New Year's. And we, we tend to mark it with these moments. You know, or, uh, did you ever, those of you who have kids, you know, you take a pencil or a pen and they start growing and you, 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 you draw on the threshold of a door or a wall. Did you ever do that? Or you scrape a little line and you say, well, this is when they were this age and this is when they were this age. Is that still done today? Yeah, and you measure and you, 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 we have these ways of marking time because it seems to go by so, so quickly, uh, even though it's going by at the same rate that it always has gone by. Uh, but we, we try to mark it and we try to acknowledge, okay, time has passed because of this and this has happened and this has happened. And then we start to say, well, when will fill in the blanks? When will I get married? When will I, I don't know, have kids? When will I get a job? When will I change jobs? When will I move? When will I, and we just, it's, it's this way that we, we mark time and we acknowledge time. Um, I love the, um, the, the things that come out at the end of the year. Uh, and they, they sort of help us. We think back and we can sort of segment time. Uh, take a look at Google's uh, Year in Search 2018 video. Uh, maybe you looked at some of those videos. I don't know, but I recognize some of them. And we can, wow, it's a year. There, there's all kinds of words to describe it. I've heard the word 
unprecedented a lot. Have you heard that? Especially when you look at politics. This is unprecedented. If I had a dime for every time I heard a news reporter say, this is unprecedented, I mean, you know, we'd probably all be very wealthy if we each got a dime for that, especially some of the networks. This is unprecedented. We've never seen da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it usually refers to a certain leader just south of the border of Canada. This is unprecedented. Do any of you know what the Oxford word of the year 2018 is? Well, let me show you. The Oxford word of the year 2018 is toxic. Toxic is defined as poisonous and ultimately has its origins in the Greek toxicon pharmacon, meaning poison for arrows. Yet when borrowed into Latin, it was the Greek for arrows or archery, toxicon, that made the leap rather than the word for poison. Cut to 2018, and our research shows that this year, more than ever, people have been using toxic to describe a vast array of things, situations, concerns, and events. In its original literal use, to refer to poisonous substances, toxic has been ever-present in discussions of the health of our communities and our environment, with toxic air, toxic algae, toxic chemicals, toxic fumes, toxic waste and even toxic slime hitting the headlines. Not to mention the continued public condemnation of the toxicity of plastics. And it's not just the physical being touted as toxic this year. Toxic has truly taken off into the realm of metaphor as people have reached for the word to describe workplaces, schools, cultures, relationships, and stress, lending a personal angle to this year of toxicity. Personal, but also political. The hashtag MeToo movement has put the spotlight on toxic masculinity, while in politics more broadly, the word has been applied to the rhetoric, policies, agendas and legacies of leaders and governments around the globe. In 2018, toxic has become a potent descriptor for the year's most talked about topics, adding more and more strings to its poisonous bow. It's the sheer scope of its application that has made it the standout choice for the Oxford Word of the Year. Mm. Toxic. I love her accent. <laughs> it makes it more, I don't know, believable. But we've heard that word, you know. And anyway, we start to think about all these things with respect to time. And I wonder, I wonder, does our view of time change when we put God in the picture? This is the question. And I think a lot of people wonder about that, and I think a lot of Christians struggle with that. Uh, the way that we think about time, maybe it should change when we put God in the picture, but maybe it doesn't change all that much. So I want to try and answer this question, what time is it, using just three little passages that we'll look at uh, briefly from the, from the New Testament. The first one's in Second Peter. Uh, this is Peter's second letter to a bunch of Christians who were persecuted uh, first century. You know this passage very, very well if you've been in church for any length of time. And he's, he's talking to them about a, an event that has yet to come in their time and yet to come in our time. He's talking about the second coming of Christ or the day of the Lord. And um, 
the, the, the people in his audience are apparently wondering about this, and they're hearing some negative talk about it ever happening and that it's kind of something that's never going to happen. And so this is the broader context of the passage. And he says this, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. Hmm. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Uh, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Have you ever heard that expression before? So some, some people, they say, okay, so that means a day is a thousand years, so... God created everything in six days, so that means uh, 6,000 years, which is like six days after he created everything, then Jesus is going to come back. You ever heard that theory? Wow, that's a terrible way of looking at this passage, terrible, because if you read the passage, what, what's he trying to say? He's trying to say, well, you know, you're, you're, you're impatient is what you are, um, and the way that you're measuring time is not the way that God measures time, you see, because with God, with the Lord, so with the way that he reckons time, a day is like a millennium. It's like a thousand years. Imagine that, that, that you know, God looks at a day, and for him, it's like forever. For us, it's a, like a thousand years in Peter's words. But then he turns around and he says, and a thousand years, it's like a really short period of time for God. It's like a day. You say, well, that's impossible. That's right. That's what Peter's trying to say. He's using these images and these similes and to try and draw a point that the way that God looks at time and the way that we look at time are two very, very different things. We, and what he's saying is we are very, very impatient. Oh, where is the coming of the Lord? Where is the coming of the Lord? It seems to be taking forever. And Peter's saying it's not forever. You have no reckoning of time the way that God reckons time. He measures it in an infinite way, but you measure it finitely. You are impatient. So for us, this is the way we look at time. Time is running out. The older that I get, the less of it I will have. When I pass potentially half of my life, I now have less time than I did before. It's running out, it's running out, it's running out, and one day, it's going to expire. And so we look at life between the time that we're born and the time that we, that we meet the grave. And that's the way that we measure life. That's not the way God measures life at all, at all, at all. In God's view of time, it does not end. And in our view of time, with the Lord, in Christ, it doesn't end either. So your life does not consist purely of your finite time on this earth when you leave this world when you meet the grave when you pass through the curtain to the other side time still continues for you it does not expire it just changes 
Do you see that? But we always measure it from here to here, and that's it. God doesn't look at it that way. Did you know that God had no beginning? Did you know that? He can't have had a beginning. If God had a beginning, then some, something or someone would have had to begin him. But he has no beginning. Some people say, well, who created God? No one. He always is, always was, always will be. And the way that he looks at time is completely different than the way we look at time. He's in the past, he's in the present, and he's in the future all at the same time. You say, that's impossible. That's right. <laughs> that's why he's God. He can be everywhere all the time, at any time, all the time. And the way he looks at time is not the way we do. We look at it in this tiny little thing with this very narrow perspective. And so we get what? Very, very impatient. I want it now. I want it yesterday. I want it digitally and immediately because that's how life runs. That's not how life runs for God. God is not digital. God doesn't operate on that whole time thing the way that we run our lives. He runs very, very differently. But we want everything now, 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 now. Uh, just, just test yourself. When your internet connection is cut or when it slows down, your blood pressure begins to rise because well, time, it's, it's, this is too slow. I'm downloading my movie from Netflix and it's too slow. The little dial is spinning like this. That's too slow for me. I need it faster. I need it now. And if I have God in the picture, I need God now in this situation, in their day back then, Peter's day. Why have you not returned yet? I need this now. And Peter's saying, oh, 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 you don't measure time the same way as God. God measures time eternally. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. So it's not the same for him as it is for you. You need to be reminded of that. Another passage, a time passage, and there are dozens and dozens of them in, this, in the scripture if you inspect it, but we're just doing three today. This one is from the book of Acts. In chapter one, this is um, after Jesus's death, after Jesus's resurrection, and he's about to leave. They don't really know that at the time, but he's about to. And in this period where he's just about to leave them, he's, he's having a meal with them. He's eating with them, and he says to them, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Probably they didn't have much of an idea what that meant at the time, because they asked him this question in verse 6. They said, Lord, are you at this time 
going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Remember on Christmas Eve, we talked about that. One of the expectations of the Messiah in Jewish thought, and it's still the same today, is that the, the, the kingdom would be restored to Israel. In other words, Israel would be set free from oppression, and they would effectively rule, and God would rule through the Messiah over, really, the planet through Israel. Lord, are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? You're the Messiah, right? So you're supposed to do this, right? Are you at this time? Is this the time that we're in? Is this our time? And he says to them a very, very frustrating answer. It is not for you to know the times <laughs> or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, He's, he's totally, totally blowing away their expectations. They don't understand this. And even today, the, the Jewish people do not get this. As I said on Christmas Eve, they reject Jesus as their Messiah because A, he, he well, the temple was existing at the time, but it was destroyed 40 years after he came. B, he didn't deliver them from Rome. C, he didn't, he didn't bring about some sort of peace on earth and gather everybody to Israel. So they say, no, Jesus is not the Messiah. They still say the same thing today. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? No, 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 no. It is not for you to know. Wow. That the, the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they were, and in all Judea, the province, and in Samaria, another province, and to the ends of the earth. What's he saying to them? Well, you don't know God's time all of the time, and you're not going to. There are certain things that God is going to withhold from you. There are certain things that are going to remain mysterious to you because he chooses not to give you his time all the time, but he sets a priority for the people. And he says, your priority is not to know when I'm going to do all this stuff with Israel and restore the kingdom and, and all of that. The priority for you is to seek the power of God so that you can be proclaimers of me. And you can be my witnesses. The word means um, uh, you will be able to do everything that you need to do for me. That's what it meant at the time. You will be my witnesses all over the place, starting here and spreading to the very, very ends of the earth. This is to be your priority, not to know when I'm going to fulfill the messianic promise. Wow. The same is true today. We want... All these answers with things in life, and we want God to show us, God, when's it going to be my time for fill in the blanks? And many times you don't get the answer you want, because what God wants to do is use you, is use you where you are to be a witness for him, is use you in your school, use you in your job, use you in your family to be a witness for him. That's his priority for us. But again, we are so impatient, so impatient, so impatient. And uh, finally, the, the last passage that we'll look at today, uh, this is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, this is typically read at weddings. Uh, I've read it at weddings before. I think it was read at my wedding, if I remember that long ago. 25 years, by the way. 25 big ones, I'm telling you. I was 12 years old when I got married. You should see the picture. I put the picture on Facebook. I look like a little baby. My wife looks the same. 
I look like a little baby in the picture. I can't believe it. You saw the picture, eh? It's like, what is that? As I say, I married up, very up. So this is what Paul says to the, to the Corinthians. And this, this, I believe, is a mistake, a mistake that Christians make all the time with this passage. They totally overlook it, totally don't see uh, the, the solution to a big problem that we tend to have. This is what he says, uh, picking up. The, 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 the context is he's actually talking about spiritual gifts in the community in Corinth. And Corinth has had a lot of people, a lot of problems, uh, but they, they had a lot of things going on at the same time. And Paul spends a great deal of his time correcting this church. Uh, you've, we've got two letters that he's written to them. This is the first one that we have. There's actually another one that we don't have. Uh, in any case, he's trying to tell them how to operate within the community using their spiritual gifts. And these gifts here are, are decidedly supernatural kinds of gifts. And so this is where he's, where, what he's talking about. And he says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, and he just has described this gift before, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, and he had defined this before, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. What, again, what time is it? For we know in part, please underline, circle, highlight, in part, we know in part, and we prophesy in part, underline it, circle it, square it. It's not sin to write in your Bible. Write it in your Bible. Put the date by it in part, in part, in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And then he uses an image. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childish behind me, using an image that they would understand. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, again, what time is it? This is a time passage. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, there it is again, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And then I intentionally go to 1 Corinthians 14.1. I don't like the fact that they chopped it there. The greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Say, well, okay, nice passage, but what's well, all the mumbo-jumbo? What's this mean to my life? Many times, Christians, especially Christians of our particular flair and stripe and, and, and tribe, if I'll use that term, Pentecostals, this is a Pentecostal church. We believe in the power of the Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in these gifts that Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 and 12. And we believe in all that stuff. At least we say we do. Many, many times we are frustrated because we do not see these things happen nearly as often as we want to. We pray for these things to happen. They don't seem to happen nearly as often as we want to. We say, why is that? 
Why is it not happening for me? Why is the power of God not happening for me? Why does it seem to happen for somebody else, but it doesn't seem to happen to me? Why, why, why? Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with God, and we invent all this kind of jibber-jabber to try and rationalize it, find a way out of it, do a theological gymnastics thing to finally put ourselves at ease to figure out, okay, this is the answer, this is the answer. The answer is right here, in part. Let me tell you what one group, uh, uh, one Christian group, very, very large and orthodox, orthodox Christian group looks at this passage and they say, well, what this passage means is that all of these things and this kind of power of God and gifts of the Spirit will all cease when the Bible is completed. When the canon of Scripture is completed, then all of these things will stop. And this, and this uh, theology would say today, those things don't happen today. Those things don't need to happen today because we have the Bible. And this is a, this is a, a very, very large theological spectrum um, in the church worldwide. It's orthodox. There's nothing wrong with it. And this is the way that they interpret this passage. They say, when the Bible is complete, we won't need these gifts anymore. And this is what he's talking about. Uh, uh, then we shall see face to face. This is the completion of the Bible. When perfection comes, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And so when the Bible is complete, then we won't need these gifts anymore. Let me just tell you that whatever this passage means, it cannot mean that. Do you know why? Because the first century people in Corinth would have never been thinking that. They don't even know what a canon of scripture is. They don't even know what a New Testament is. We use all those terms today. They wouldn't have understood any of that. It had to mean something to them. Let me suggest to you what it meant to them. It meant when Christ comes. Again, this idea of the second coming, you can't escape it when you read the New Testament. When perfection comes, when, when I am fully known, that's when everything will cease to be in part. And so right now we're in part, but one day when Christ comes and when he wraps everything up, then I shall be fully known. Then I will have put the ways of childhood behind me. Then I won't see dimly as in a mirror. Then I'll see face to face. Then I'll, I'll know fully, even as I'm fully known by God. He, they're thinking most likely about the coming of the Lord, not the completion of scripture. Why is this so important? Because now we see in part that's why because now we experience in part not the whole thing if we experience the whole thing now we would have no hospitals we would have no more funerals to do we would have no more sickness to deal with we would have no more decay in creation we'd have none of it because it would all be wrapped up. It would all be changed. But see, now we live in the in part, part of time. And that's a frustrating time to live in. We live in between. Wow. That was almost, uh, almost like God was talking there. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> the last trumpet, will, the last teacup will be hit. Um, now we live in the in between time. We live in between the passion of the Christ and the second coming of Christ. And that's an in-part time. And that means you won't get what you want all the time. 
That means I won't get what I want all the time. That means I'll experience God's power in part sometimes. That means I'll know things in part sometimes. That means I'll prophesy in part sometimes. But I'll be looking as if through a kind of a dim mirror, searching for answers and not always getting them. And that's the time that we live in. It's a bit of a frustration when you're going through experiences that hurt. Uh, next week, we'll start a, a new series uh, based on that book, uh, Hope in the Dark. Uh, it's kind of an expose of the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Hope in the dark, believing that God is good when life is not. We live in a time where life is not always good. It's not always good, and we still have to believe that God is good. And that's the in part time that we live in. So why are we here? Why can't Jesus just get it over with? <laughs> I don't like living in the in part time. I often say, like, I've, I've been in ministry, whatever it is now, 17, moving to 18 years. I have to be very honest and very candid with you in terms of supernatural, divine things like this that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. I would say I have seen three in 17, 18 years. Three. And I'm not talking about someone was healed of a headache, okay? I'm talking about someone was dead and they came back to life kind of thing, all right? I've seen, I've seen three things, three, that I would say are very a la Corinthians, a la supernatural, three. I've seen a lot of people talk about this is healed and this is healed, and then you look and you say, well, a little bit of smoke and mirror. Show me something New Testament, please. Show me something Gospels, please. I've seen three say, wow, you don't have a lot of faith. Maybe not, but I do in part. <laughs> and so do you. And you'll see it. You'll see them in part. You'll see them. You'll experience them in part. And this is the part that we don't like about the part of time that we live in. We're in the in part time. So what's the purpose of living in this in part time anyway? Oh, it seems like a miserable time to live in. Really? Uh, look what uh, the author of Hebrews said. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, this, this passage is becoming more and more talked about these days uh, because the internet has made church attendance optional for people. Hey, we're even streaming live on Facebook now. Those of you who are at home, you know, you're with us in spirit, but not in body. So hopefully we get you here in body, but it's good to be here in spirit, right? Maybe people are sick and they're watching at home. I mean, it's amazing technology. But there's something about being together, yes? And this is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Oh, that's a nice purpose when you live in the in part time, not giving up meeting together. Don't quit meeting together not giving up, as some are in the habit of doing. Wow, even in the first century, some were in the habit of quitting the, the kind of meeting of the people, the gathering, the ecclesia of people. But encouraging one another, that's your purpose when you live in the impart time. It's not only 
to be witnesses for Christ. Not only, that's a major priority for sure, but also encouraging one another. This is the purpose of church community, encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day, there it is again, the coming of Christ. All the more as you see the day approaching. We have a wonderful opportunity to do two things. Number one, be witnesses. What an opportunity when we live in such a crazy world to be a witness for Christ, to have conversations with people, to let our light shine in front of people. My goodness, what an opportunity. So easy to do. So much to talk about. I can engage in a conversation about spiritual things by talking about Donald Trump. Imagine all I have to do is bring up Donald Trump and I can start talking about spiritual things. It's so easy these days. Sorry to pick on the president. You know I pick on him a lot. Uh, but we do need to pray for him, right? How many of you actually have prayed for President Trump? That's what, oh, okay, two, two three hands. Okay, okay, good. How many of you have prayed for Prime Minister Trudeau? Hopefully more hands. It's your country. Anyway. It's an aside. It's an aside. We, so, so we have an opportunity to be witnesses for sure, for sure, for sure. But we have an opportunity to bring courage to the faint of heart, to edify one another, to spur one another on to say, you can, you can still keep serving God even in the midst of your situation. Uh, this is a wonderful purpose for the church uh, let me end today by reading you uh, a card that came in on Christmas Eve, and I'd like the band if they would come up and get ready to, um, I think it was the first song that you did, He is Faithful? Yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll close the year with that, or at least today with that. I want to read you a card that um, came in from Simon and Alicia and Eliam, and Simon's playing the guitar here, and Alicia's at the back. It's great to see you. Let me read this to you. It fits in so well. Uh, with this passage from Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, this, is, this is what they gave to us. Uh, dear friends, dear friends, we would like to thank the Friedlands, that's my family, for leading the church, for the amazing care and love of, uh, of, for our South Shore community, for always being available and committed whenever we call, and for reaching out whenever... Uh, whenever we had no one calling us. We would like to thank the entire church family for you have never made us feel excluded or unwanted even during our toughest times. Oh, it's right out of the Bible. You have, you have never made us feel excluded or unwanted even during our toughest times. Thank you for your kind thoughts and prayers for our family. Ah, that's it, folks. That's the purpose of the church, to encourage, to encourage. You can still serve God. We can keep serving God together until the day approaches, whatever happens, because he is faithful, because he is glorious, because he's with us in the fire. Remember, we're not going to give up meeting together, but we're going to encourage one another. Even if we live in the in part part of time, so what? We have opportunity, and we will not give up that opportunity. That's the role of the church today. Would you?